So today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, sorry, chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And when you pray, you must not, like, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us, our de- as, forgive, us, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Before we jump into God's word, I'm going to invite you to open up a Bible if you have one. Or, or click open in your device, and we're going to be in Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at this passage that Steve just read to us. And I want to ask you a question before we, before we jump in. When was the last time you found yourself in danger and were truly scared, really scared? Like, like you, you were brought to the point of thinking, I might not make it out of this. I might not make it out alive. Have you ever felt that kind of fear? Perhaps you've never had an experience like that, but if you have had that kind of experience, you know that it does tend to stick with you, especially if you're used to feeling safe and sound most of the time. Well, Matthew 6, 13, this last verse that Steve just read to us, it reminds us that we're actually faced with danger much more often than we realize. In fact, there are threats that lie around every corner. We can lose sight of that. We might not always feel like we're in danger, but Jesus is telling us in Matthew 6.13 that we are actually in danger. We can lose sight of that, especially if we happen to live in a place that is relatively safe. Um, The suburbs of Westchester County, New York, where I happen to live, are relatively a safe place. That is, they are safe in some ways, but in other ways, they're terribly dangerous. And I think the same is true for you, whether you live in New York or elsewhere, whether you live in the suburbs or not. Wherever you happen to live, it's a dangerous place, as are our schools as are our workplaces, as are the spaces we visit online. There's danger there. And those dangers may not be physical, but they're real. And in Matthew 6.13, Jesus has, has two particular threats in mind. He calls them, quote, temptation and evil. Temptation and evil, two pretty broad categories, two serious threats to all of us. His point, Jesus' point, is not that we should live in fear of these threats. On the contrary, what he wants to show us is that we can ask our Father for help to face these dangers so so that we don't need to live with fear. And as we ask the Father to help us face these dangers, we're going to learn to trust them. We're going to learn to trust the God who leads us 
and delivers us into safety. Hopefully today what we're going to see is that this last request in the Lord's Prayer is a vital one. Just like the others are too that we've looked at each week. This one is vital because it, 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 it orients us not only to the dangers around us, but it teaches us to ask God for at least two things. To ask for protection and to ask for rescue. We need protection and we need rescue. I want to look at each of those things. We need protection and Jesus tells us to ask the Father for it. The Bible uses lots of different metaphors to describe the, the life of a Christian on this earth, the life of, of a follower of Jesus. Um, there's, for instance, the, the metaphor of a race, a long race, or the metaphor of a long journey through the wilderness. We sang about that as Janine led us earlier. But another metaphor the Bible uses is the metaphor of a battle. A battle. Now, a long race or a long journey through the wilderness or a battle, they're all, well, they all have at least two things in common. They're all hard and they're all dangerous. Especially, you might think of danger when we think about that battle metaphor. Yeah, that imagery is meant to show us that following Christ is not always, is not always comfortable. By God's grace, most of us have never been in, in combat. We've never been in literal war. Some of you maybe have, but we all know that the battles are difficult and they are dangerous. We can pick that much up at least just from watching news footage from Ukraine or, or old footage from World War II or even just from movies or, or from playing Call of Duty. I am, I am too old to play games like that. I've tried. And I find them to be nerve-wracking. I, I, I'm just constantly scared and jumpy. I can't even figure out where I'm going. My kids have tried to explain it to me, but I'm unable to catch on. I feel disoriented, and I feel like at any moment someone's going to jump out and kill me. And maybe that's part of the point, right? The, those games, they try to capture that disorienting, uh, frightening feeling of war, but without the true risk of actual death. Now, like I said, God doesn't want us to walk through life with a spirit of fear. He doesn't want us to walk through life jumpy and nervous like I am when I try to play a video game. But he does want us to be realistic. So he warns us with words like these in 1 Timothy 5.8. God says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. That's scary language, isn't it? Or Ephesians 6.12 where God says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You see, the battle is not a battle against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities. And, 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 and he doesn't mean necessarily human rulers, human authorities. Look what he says next. It's against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Both of these passages in 1 Peter and Ephesians, they, they alert us to what many people have called spiritual warfare. It's real warfare. It's not physical, or it may not always feel physical, but it's real. There is a real devil and there are real demons. I know that those concepts can sound really out of date to some of us. But I would argue to you that it's, it's naive to reject those concepts. It's naive to live as if there are not spiritual forces of evil. There are. 
and they do want to do us harm. And one way they do that is by tempting us in many ways. For instance, tempting us to distrust God or tempting us to stop believing in him altogether. They tempt us by enticing us to pursue our unhealthiest and unwisest desires. Satan, the enemy, he tempts us in so many ways, but but the battle that we face isn't just against him. No, there's also the threat that's posed by this fallen world that we live in. That's why God says in Romans 12 to not be conformed to the present world. In one sense, he's telling us that it's true. I mean, let me, let me just back up for a second. This world is a beautiful place. This is a beautiful day, isn't it? You can see the beauty of God's creation around you. We're surrounded by beauty outside. And there's lots of beauty in here, too. It was designed by God to be a beautiful world, but it's also a fallen, broken world, isn't it? And that's what makes it dangerous. Evil is everywhere. Again, let's not be naive. Let's not, let's not pretend that it's not there. We know that evil is all around us. We see it. Some of us have experienced the evil of abuse, or we have read reports and heard the stories of those that have experienced the evil of abuse. We hear reports of school shootings. We see and experience discrimination and confusion. There's no doubt that this world is a fallen, broken place. And and one way that this fallen world threatens us is by tempting us to believe lies. Lies. Lies that emerge from our cultures or from our entertainment sources, from our news feeds. Lies that come from our leaders, even from our educational institutions. And these are lies of many different sorts. They're lies that may tell you, for instance, that this world can satisfy you when it can't. Or lies that tell you that that you'll be happiest if you live for yourself when you won't. Lies that tell you that you are not who God says you are. No. That his words can't be trusted. And so many other lies that we encounter We encounter them online, we encounter them in our favorite shows, we encounter them in our classrooms, we encounter them in our conversations with one another. The world itself presents us with dangers and threats. Now, as if all of that were not enough, on top of the devil and the world, we ourselves can be a threat to ourselves. Our own impulses can misguide us, can't they? James 1.14 says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Isn't that interesting? One way that we are enticed and lured is by our own desires. But you know that, don't you? You know that you can be your own worst enemy sometimes. So we've got, in no particular order, we've got the world, the flesh, and the devil, all threatening to mislead us and to harm us. And sometimes we can't tell where temptation's coming from. Is it one of those three, or is it all three working off each other? It's often all three working off each other. 
And that's why Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, Father. Lead us not into temptation. It's a plea for protection. Now that phrase, it can, it can be a little confusing to us. And, and scholars really have, have kind of shared different takes on what it means to ask God, lead me or lead us not into temptation. But the most convincing explanation for my money, as far as I can see, and the one that makes most sense in light of everything else that the Bible tells us is that when we say, Father, lead us not into temptation, we are saying, Father, don't let us succumb to temptation. In other words, don't let us fall for the temptation. Because after all, temptation is going to come. It happens. We know that. The Bible tells us that and experience shows us that we can't exist in this world without experiencing temptation. But we also know that God himself does not tempt us. He says so in James 1.13. He says, let no one say that he is, when he is tempted, I am being tempted from God or by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God is not interested in enticing us to do evil. On the contrary, he instructs us and he calls us into what is good. And when we pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, we're asking him to protect us, yes, from the world, from the flesh, ourselves, and from the devil. And we're asking him to protect us by not letting us succumb to the temptations when we encounter them. It's not really keep me from experiencing temptation, although that would be really nice too, wouldn't it? We can ask God for that. But in all likelihood, you're going to face temptation, and you already have already today. But keep me from giving in, Father. That's what we're saying. Father, keep me from falling prey to the lies. Keep me from believing the lies. Keep me from, from falling prey to the enticement, the, the pull of whatever it is that tempts me. You know, in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Interesting words. It, it reminds me of what the Lord's Prayer says. Father, lead us not. Don't lead us into temptation. Here Jesus is saying, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Enter into is an interesting phrase. It means to enter into means to, to willingly go in. It means to accept the invitation. Jesus says, pray that you would not accept the invitation. Pray that you wouldn't be enticed to enter in when temptation comes. That you wouldn't succumb to the allure. Because you're weak. You need help. You need protection whether you realize it or not. So ask the Father for that protection. Here's a question for us. How often do we ask our Father for this kind of protection? How often do we preempt, not when just when we're in the midst of temptation, but beforehand, when we feel safe, and everything looks fine. How often did we come to the Lord and say, Lord, temptation is probably going to come. You've told us that in this world we are going to face trouble. And one of the ways that trouble comes to us is through these kinds of lies that we're tempted to believe. These offers that we're tempted to receive unwisely. How often do we pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lead us. Me, my household, my friends, my family, my neighborhood. 
my church. Jesus counsels us to do that consistently, to keep asking. And it's not just for ourselves. Like I said, it's for our community. It's for our family, our, our neighborhood, even our world. Now, if you're anything like me, when you hear the word temptation, you might think specifically of, like, like you imagine those specific situations where you're faced with a choice. It's a momentous event, temptation, and you have to choose, will I do what's right or will I do what's wrong? Will I stand up and be strong or will I succumb? Will I get the side salad or will I get the fries? I, I know that's a silly example, but the, the struggle is real for some of us. Will, it may be more serious than that. It's, it's, will, will you have another drink? Will you, will you get alone and, and search for pornography? You face moments like these where perhaps the temptation is really specific and, and, it's, it's, and it's obvious, too. You see it there. And the Bible shows us examples like this. Peter, for instance, when he faced the, the choice to, to identify with Jesus or to deny Jesus. A momentous temptation event in his life. But temptation in its most common forms, it doesn't look like that. Most commonly, it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more constant. In fact, it, it's almost like background noise. It's there all the time. It's, it, it's almost like it's in the air that we breathe. Think about it. Think about these kinds of temptations. The allure, the allure to, of wealth and comfort. Isn't that always there? The allure of, of living for yourself. Why you ignore the needs and the suffering of other people? The, the, how, about, how about the allure of living for approval? Uh, that, 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 that enticement, that pull to, to keep feeding the need for acceptance and validation from other people? Or how about that, that pull to, to live with an ungrateful heart, to, to be consistently just dissatisfied? Or the pull towards unforgiveness and bitterness we talked about a little bit last week. Aren't those temptations often just hovering around us? In fact, when we start paying attention to it, we might find and notice that that kind of low-grade temptation is almost always there. It's, it's, it's almost always exerting like a gravitational pull on us. So no wonder Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into it. It's there. Watch, be alert, and pray that you would not enter in. Because the struggle is real. And so he's, he says, keep asking. Keep asking. Father, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from that deceptive allure. And the second thing this prayer teaches us is that we need rescue. We don't just need protection. We need rescue. Because our situation is dire. You see what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 13. He says, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us or, or rescue us from evil. We pray for deliverance. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, sometimes this verse gets misinterpreted really badly, and and people understand it to mean that uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? Have you ever said that? Or God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. That's not true. We will often face more than we can handle. That's why we need a way of escape. That's why we need a rescuer. So deliver us from evil means in part, Father, don't leave me to take care of myself. Rescue me. I can't rescue myself. Jesus is telling us to be honest with ourselves and with our Father about our own weaknesses, to to own those weaknesses. Now, it's interesting that right before uh, the Apostle Paul says that in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says this in verse 12. Maybe you noticed it. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This, this, uh, this passage speaks to all of us. <laughs> Maybe it's speaking powerfully to some of us right now because we, we tend to think that we don't need protection or we don't need rescue. So, sometimes we feel strong. We approach our days thoughtlessly. Maybe it's, not that we don't, maybe it's not that we feel strong. We just feel like there's not really anything dangerous going on in our lives. We're okay. And so we go through our days kind of carelessly, thoughtlessly. When I was a young man, my mother would often say, when I walked out the door, she would say this word to me in Portuguese, juízo, juízo. Juízo means wisdom or, or, or judgment or discernment. You see, my mother... What she was doing is she was reminding me to exercise thought as I left the home. She's saying, exercise discernment. Be wise as as you head out into the world. Juizu, she would say. It's the same advice that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5, 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. He's saying, look carefully then how you walk. Don't be unwise. Exercise judgment. Exercise discernment. Now, I appreciated what my mother would say to me when I was, when I was younger, but I didn't think much of it because I, I thought I was good. I thought I was fine, and I was wrong. I was wrong, and it took me years to realize that to the degree that I thought I was fine and didn't need help, I was consistently walking headlong towards danger. And I was getting beaten up by it again and again and again. Frankly, I was being destroyed by it, by temptation, by evil. And what I needed and what I still need and what you need is for God to rescue me from that kind of, that kind of careless pride that says, I got this. You need that too. But, you know, the deliverance that the rescue that we're asking for here when we say the Lord's Prayer, it's it's more than just rescue from those moments of temptation. And and, and it's more even than rescue from our own careless pride. Like we all need rescue from the consequences of all the times that we did succumb to temptation. Because we all have. We've all been enticed. We've all given in to evil, haven't we? We've all accepted and acted on the lies. 
And so we need rescue, not just from the temptation itself, but we need rescue from the disaster that we've caused when we've entered into headlong into that temptation. So Jesus tells us to ask for that kind of ultimate rescue too. He says, ask the Father to deliver you from evil. Deliver you from the temptation you're facing now, but from ultimate evil as well. Eternal evil. You know, on the night that Jesus was crucified, he walked with three of his friends into a garden. And even though he hadn't been arrested yet, that was, that was going to happen in just a few hours. He hadn't been tortured yet, but his suffering was already starting. In that garden, he was tempted severely. He was enticed and he was pressured to walk away from what was ahead of him. He was tempted to walk away from what God the Father had called him to. He was tempted to walk away from the shame and the rejection and the crucifixion. It was right around the corner. He resisted. He resisted the lies. He resisted the allure of rejecting the Father's will. Instead, what he did, through, through sweat and tears of blood, he submitted himself fully to the Father. And he, and he said, your will be done. You see, in his moment of deepest temptation, he prayed the same thing he tells us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. He knows how hard fought those words are. And that was the same night when he told his friends to watch and pray so that they wouldn't succumb to temptation. They were sleeping. They did succumb to temptation. But that night that Jesus experienced in that garden may have been, it probably was, the most intense experience of temptation that he would ever face. But it wasn't his only experience of temptation. He experienced temptation throughout his life on this earth. Luke 4 says that three years earlier, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted by the devil directly, intensely, 40 days. Jesus experienced temptation during his whole life on this earth. In fact, it was more intense and more constant temptation than any one of us has ever known. Hebrews 4.15 says that in every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in every respect as we are. And the reason I said his temptation was more intense, that it was more constant, is because he never gave in. You see, sometimes, how does temptation end for us? It ends when we give in. Relief, we just sin. And Jesus kept pushing back kept resisting, kept resisting. And so the temptation just kept getting amped up and amped up and amped up. He experienced a deeper level and and more fierce intensity of temptation than any of us has ever known. But the takeaway from Hebrews 4.15 is amazing. The takeaway is that because he experienced that, he sympathizes with us. That, That is, he understands our weakness and he understands the power of temptation, the, the, the enticing power of the lies. He knows. He feels for us. In fact, he so sympathized with us that he was willing to take all of our failures, all the times we succumbed, all the times we didn't ask for protection and rescue, when we willingly entered into the temptation, 
and we believed those lies and we dishonored our God, he took the consequences for all of that eternally. It cost him his life. You see, Jesus wasn't delivered from evil. Not that day, not on the cross. No, he he was delivered into the jaws of evil so that we could be delivered, rescued from evil eternally. Hebrews 2 tells us that because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's because he suffered so deeply He's able to help us when we are tempted. Yes, he can help us by protecting us in the moment of temptation. But more importantly, he can rescue us from the eternal consequences for the times that we entered into temptation and embraced it wholeheartedly. As we close today, I want to ask you to ask yourself, what, what, what tempts you? Where, where are the temptations that you're aware of in your life. Where, where's the battle is what I'm asking. And if you can't identify any in your life, it's probably not because they're not there. Maybe it's because subtly and quietly you're just getting whipped by <laughs> in this battle. You're being consistently defeated, perhaps. What lies are you most prone to believe and, and after you ask this, I know that you can ask yourself this here, but I would encourage you to ask this in prayer later as well. Because the Spirit may bring things to mind even now, but these are questions that are worth asking over and over again. Where's the battle? Asking the Father to show us where it is that, that we are particularly vulnerable, where we are particularly at risk. There's wisdom in knowing ourselves that way, isn't there? In knowing ourselves well enough to see where we're weak. And there's wisdom also in letting other people know. So here's another question for you. Does anyone else know what tempts you? Does anyone else know where the battles lie for you that you're you're feeling? Does your spouse know if you're married? Your parents know if you live with your parents? Their friends, their friend, who knows, a mentor? Is there anyone in a community that, that you could look to and say, this person knows the battle I'm facing? Look, our Father gives us protection and rescue from the allure of temptation, but he does that through many different means, right? He uses tools to do that, and one of them is the help of other people. He uses a community of people to whom you've opened up your life so that they can pray with you, specifically, for the battles that you're facing, but also so they can provide accountability and help you walk away from those temptations. If you know where those temptations are particularly strong for you, are are you actively walking away from them? Or, Or do you find yourself putting yourself in their path? You find yourself walking towards them. Look, it really makes no sense, does it, for me to say, lead me not into temptation while I am actively walking towards what I know will tempt me. It's insanity. And we know that. 
And so what will often happen is that if we're consistently walking towards temptation, willfully knowing it, we're going to stop asking God to lead us away from it. Ask, we're going to stop asking God to rescue us because we know there, there's a dissonance in our head. We know that it, it makes no sense. I would encourage you to pray. Lead us not into temptation. And in those words, to see that as a plea for rescue, a plea for protection, but also commitment on your part, a commitment on our parts to walk away from temptation. In some ways, the world is a dangerous place. There's no doubt. A beautiful, dangerous place. Perhaps more so than we realize. But our Father is a powerful Father who delights in protecting and rescuing his children perhaps more than we realize. And so when he gives us this Lord's Prayer, in part, he's giving us something to to help prepare us to live in this world and the dangers that surround us. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, honored be your name. What do we, we're, we're reorienting ourselves. It's helping us to face temptation, frankly, because when we're saying, hallowed be your name, we're saying, I want your name to be honored, not mine. It's not about my, my, my name. When we say, your kingdom come, we're saying, it's not mine. Your will be done, not mine. You see, all of those words, they, they reorient us to, to who we're really called to live for. And it's not ourselves. So that if we'll internalize these truths, internalize the lines of this prayer, we will be protected against the lies that tell us otherwise. That tell us it really is about your name being honored. It really is about my will being done. My kingdom being built. When we pray these words, we're saying, you are my father. I can trust you. Your name is at the center. Your kingdom is the kingdom that matters. What you want is better for me than what I want. Your will be done. And this prayer shapes us. It shapes us even as we ask for the things we need, right? When, 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 when Jesus teaches us to pray, for instance, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're asking for everything we need. Everything you need as a follower of Jesus, frankly, everything you need as a human, falls under those categories. My daily bread, forgiveness, protection, and rescue. It's all you need. When we say those words, we're asking for food and everything that food represents. We're asking for forgiveness. And we're asking for freedom. Food, forgiveness, and freedom. We're asking for freedom from the destructive power of sin. It's all we really need. So as we discipline ourselves to to ask, the Lord's going to answer those prayers. He's going to do it. And in doing it, he's going to shape us into people who reject the lie that what we really want and what we really need is outside of God somehow. Lord's Prayer and prayed with sincerity before God and answered powerfully by God can change us, can transform us. And so I want to encourage you, take this prayer and use it. Use it. Pray it. Recite it. Memorize it. Sure. Do all of that. But also let the words of this prayer inform and shape all of your prayer. 
Let, this, let the words of this prayer shape the way that you think about who God is and who you are and what it looks like to live on this earth. May the Lord use this prayer. You know, we often call it the Lord's Prayer, but really, he gives it to the disciples. So really, it's a disciples' prayer. It's our prayer. So may God use our prayer for our good and transform us in the process. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven always. Give us today and every day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, Lord, but rescue us, deliver us from evil. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.